become kind of a custom that we do on Christmas morning. So come on up. We're going to read the, the story of Luke chapter 2 together and uh, enjoy this season. You guys did a great job, didn't you? Just singing. That was awesome. Very good. Just come on in or don't be scared. Last time this happened, my little daughter was up here, and she's not so little anymore. I tell you what, you guys did good. Yeah, Elizabeth, you remember her? Yep. Well, hey, guys, I just want to take a moment and read Luke chapter 2 and the story of Jesus. You guys, have, have you guys heard this story before? I bet you've heard it over and over, haven't you? You guys didn't have to fan out all the way. Come on up in here. Get up on it. Get, come on up here, guys. Bryson, come on down here. <clears throat> That's too distant. Come on up. You can even sit in these chairs if you want to. You guys can bring it on around. <clears throat> you can come on up here if you want. Come on up. We got it. We can't be too orderly when it comes to, to this kind of stuff. All right. There you go. That's better. All right. So Luke chapter 2. This is the story of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. It says... And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I mean, she was really, really ready to have that child. <clears throat> and in verse 6 it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. That I means she's going to have that baby. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That'd be like the comfort inn was full. So they had to go out in the parking lot. That's a terrible situation. You know what else happened? Let me just read a few more verses. It says, And there... Uh, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord uh, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. That means they were super scared. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. We're going to stop right there and pick it up in just a moment. But before I, I conclude, I want to just take this candy cane here that I happen to have laying up here on the, the pulpit with, or in the podium with me. You guys like, you like candy canes? Well, good. Well, you, you might be able to get into one here in just a minute, but you got to pay attention to this first. All right? So there's, I'm going to give you a lesson. What's that look like? Shepherd staff. Yeah, that's right. It looks like a shepherd staff. We were just reading about the shepherds. They were tending their, their sheep by night, weren't they, while Jesus was born in the manger and placed in a manger. So this is like a shepherd staff. If we turn it upside down, what's it look like? Jesus. That's right. It looks like Jesus. J for Jesus. And then what color stripes do we have on this? Red and white. Yeah, red and white. What do you think the red represents? What do you think? Jesus Christ. Yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, big, there's a big red strip, and then there's those little ones. You know what those little ones represent? No? You know what? Jesus came to this earth, and he was born, but he was born to die for our sins. What do you think those little stripes are for? Um, to die first. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was beaten, and they put stripes on his back before he went to the cross, and he came to be our sacrifice for sin. And so... Um, so those, you know what, that would represent the scar. Someday we're going to see Jesus. He's going to come back, 
And you know what the Bible tells us? There's still going to be holes in his hands. He still has those holes in his hands where he shed his blood for us to be our sacrifice for sin. You know what this is? This is uh, <clears throat> you know what flavor that most candy canes are? Now they make them cinnamon, so it's not cinnamon. So what other flavor do you think? Peppermint. Yeah, peppermint, mint. That's right. And uh, many people, I don't know this for sure. I've read this. I've read that uh, it's similar to hyssop, which is in the mint family. And, and that's what they would purify the sacrifices with in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is our pure sacrifice for sin. I'm pretty sure white represents And yeah, white represents the purity. I, I think I missed that, didn't I? The biggest and most important thing is when we receive Jesus, right, our sins are covered and we're white as snow. That's right. Man, thanks. Give me some knuckles there. I appreciate that. <clears throat> He's just cleaning it up for me up here. All right. <clears throat> All right, one last thing to remember is that sometimes when you get these things, they're kind of fragile, and they, this one's already broke. See that? And what it reminds us of is though Jesus didn't have any broken bones. He was, he, was, he was wounded, the Bible says, for our transgressions, right? He was wounded for our sins. And yet, he overcame our sins, and he's alive. So you know what you need to do? Next time someone gives you a candy cane, you need to enjoy every feature of it, but you also need to, to give to other people. So right now, I'm going to ask Amy and Elizabeth and Samuel, wherever they are. They're supposed to be right here on the ready. Oh, there they are. Good job, guys. They're going to give you guys a candy cane, and you got a choice. You can have this candy cane. It's yours, with permission of your parents, by the way, <clears throat> with parental approval. Or if you don't like candy canes, because some of you don't, you can, you can give those away. But on each and every one of these candy canes are the eight things that we just talked about regarding the importance of a candy cane. All right. You guys did a great job, by the way, singing today. I really appreciate that. All right. That's all right. Don't worry about that. Anybody not? When you get a candy cane, you can go back and sit with your folks. All right. Don't worry about the paper. Good job, guys. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> now for the hard part of the service is keeping these kids entertained while we finish up. So, <clears throat> so uh, praise the Lord. That was exciting. Those kids did a, such a good job. The Patch Pirate kids have been practicing on Wednesday nights, and all the kids have been able to come in and participate in that and done a very good job. So we appreciate that. Uh, this year at HBF, we have been focusing on the theme of having perfect peace. Perfect peace. And, uh, and, you know, in this passage I just read, I didn't get to it in the book of Luke chapter 2. But in Luke chapter 2, in, <clears throat> in verse uh, 14, the angels appear to those shepherds and say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And I tell you, beloved, we live in a time where we need peace and goodwill. And praise God, it's coming toward men from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to continue in this story that we started with the children, and we're going to finish up this morning and, and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of our time in God's Word. And, and so this morning, I pray that you do have peace in your heart. As we've already had an eloquent and adequate message from the kids as they sang, really, Jesus is the meaning of this season, and, and uh, I appreciate all of you that have set aside your, your Christmas morning to make Jesus the centerpiece of what... Uh, this is all about, which is his coming to this earth at his first advent. Christmas is a time that, that can be 
taxing with all the hustle and the, the bustle. Uh, yet the advent of Christ is meant for everyone and is inclusive, right? It's to all people, to every, to toward all men, he said in the text. Even the, the most disconnected from society are able to participate in what Jesus Christ has done for us. For this season, uh, in this season, we along with the heavenly host celebrate the birth of Christ, proclaim, proclaiming glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill toward men. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. There should be one near you. Uh, if you're a guest, there's one in the guest bag. And, uh, and you can grab that and look at on, uh, on uh, Luke chapter 2 in the New Testament. We're going to just pick up the text from verse 8 uh, through verse 19 and uh, finish up what we started with the children. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord uh, shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them in the, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. <clears throat> and, they came, and, they, and they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds but mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart heavenly father we're so thankful for the uh, the advent of the lord jesus christ both his first coming and we look forward to the second coming lord we're thankful for the fact that he came to die on the cross for our sins that he was our perfect sacrifice for sin. And as Tristan pointed out, Lord, it has covered our sins and we are white as snow, whiter than the snow that's covering our land. Lord, we're so thankful for the purity, the fact that you take our sins and cast them as far away as the east is from the west when we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Lord, we're so thankful for this season where everyone stops and ponders what Jesus Christ did and what God did to bring his son to this earth uh, to deal with the fallen humanity of Adam's race. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this gift this gift of eternal life. We thank you for these children that we saw. Lord, what a gift, Lord, to have these children. We thank you for the families, Lord, that are represented here this morning. What a gift to have family. Lord, we're thankful for the local church. Lord, what a gift to have the local church. And Lord, we're thankful for the word of God that is written and preserved for us. Lord, what a gift to have the certainty of the words of God in our own language that we can read, that we can hold fast to. Lord, we're so thankful for all the, the gifts, Lord, but in everything, Lord, you are the gift. Lord, you are the one uh, who gives us all things, Lord. And we thank you for being a good father, Lord, for loving us and giving us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. We praise you this morning on Christmas morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I just want to speak a little bit about this passage, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up as we're here this Christmas morning. The first thing I want to point out is, is this passage deals with taxation, right? It's that time of year. I was just out yesterday and I was, yeah, I was at the family function and they started talking about paying personal property taxes, right? So, you know, so much for Christmas. I'm the Grinch. Wah, 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 right? So taxation, but you know, taxation from uh, Caesar Augustus was what was on hand 
and taxation uh, is, is something that is actually associated with Christmas. I think we can all uh, relate to that as there is a taxing, uh, it's a taxing time of year, not only financially, right? It's just, it can be taxing with all the hustle, all the bustle. It's sometimes hard to, to fit Jesus into everything that's going on. So Christmas can be taxing. Christmas can be taxing in more ways than one. And in your outline, point A, I just wanted to point out that literal taxation from Caesar Augustus was decreed on the first Christmas. There was a literal taxation, of course, uh, that is mentioned there in the text uh, in verse 1. It said, all the world should be taxed. Now, the Jews didn't always cooperate in military conscription. They didn't cooperate in a lot of things. But they did. one thing that they uh, were certainly going to do under Caesar's rule is get uh, their pocketbooks open and pay Caesar, right? Because he had wars to fight, they had buildings to build, they had an economy to run, and so he wanted to make sure that everybody was taxed. And so uh, it says in verse 3, and all went to be taxed, right? This wasn't a suggestion, right? This was a command. Everyone needed to be taxed. I mean, I think he hired extra, extra IRS agents or something. But anyway, he, uh, he, he, they were going to tax everybody, and so like today, many were, were concerned with economic uncertainty during a time in which the Savior of the world was born. It wasn't altogether different than today. There was uncertainties, and, and of course, economically, if you were as poor as Mary and Joseph, uh, a taxation that was decreed by Caesar would be a burden, right? On top of a burden. On top of a burden. Maybe you've rolled in this morning, this Christmas morning, and that's kind of how you are. You're going through the motions, but man, it's just one burden on top of another burden, on top of another burden. Man. You know, many face those same uncertainties today as our nation goes deeper and deeper into financial debt. It's just a symptom, really, of a moral decay that plagues our land. But there is good news. There's really great news. And that is that Jesus was born in the midst of geopolitical uncertainty. He was born in the midst of a time when people were were, were, were under the burdens of financial uncertainties. And notice, all were to be taxed. As, as, as Joseph and Mary were in a situation where it wasn't an option in this case, you know, we have a romantic notion sometimes of Bethlehem and because, because of all the Christmas songs, right, and all the portraits, and some of them I'll probably have on the screen this morning, you know, I mean, so, so there's this romantic notion we have, but if we were in Bethlehem, it wouldn't be, it really wouldn't be so nice. This, his, this city was historically and prophetically significant as the birthplace of the Messiah. But no one would have thought or planned that Messiah was going to be born to Mary, and especially in a place like Bethlehem. That's just not what someone would naturally think, but that's what God had already prophesied. And many of us are familiar with Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, both of the names for Bethlehem are listed there, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, <clears throat> that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Everlasting is, well, forever. Right? So the one that's coming forth is going to come from everlasting. And so uh, this is going to be the Messiah. And he's going to be born specifically, Micah says, in Bethlehem, a town that is of little note. I cannot help but think about the, the miracles that God does in, in places of, of little note. Even our little town here in, in the middle of Cass County, if you, uh, a lot of people you say, I'm from, you go, to, you, go to New, you go to Boston, right, on a missions trip, and you say, hey, uh, where are you they ask, where are you from? I'm from Harrisonville, Missouri. You know how many people know where that's at? Nobody. 
They might know where Kansas City's at. But you know what? It doesn't matter where you're from. It matters where Jesus is at. Right? That's what really matters. It doesn't matter where you're from. What really matters is that Jesus is there. And God called it, right? As prophetically, this is going to be an important place. Bethlehem was a place situated between trade cities, kind of like Harrisonville, a place for caravans to pass. They, they headed east uh, to trade from there, and it was a sleepy little town, um, which is why there was no room for Joseph and Mary in the inn. Even though God created all, there wasn't any room for the Creator. It's amazing to consider. It's not what I would have preferred. It's not what I would have drawn up, but that's exactly what happened. I don't think God could show any more humility than, than the, the, the birth of himself, of his, of his son, Jesus. I mean, there's just nothing more humble than what we're seeing in the text. It's unbelievable that God is so, so patient and humble. And, and on, by the way, his parents had to go through difficulty. And there's a reason for this, because his life here wasn't a bed of roses. It wasn't even meant to be a bed of roses. And, and even Mary will later, I'm not going to preach on it this morning, but right when Simeon came and, and Anna, they told her, he's going to pierce through the, your heart also. It's going to be hard uh, being the mother of Jesus, because the world hates him. They're going to hate you, Mary. Not, I mean, in essence, it's kind of like what Jesus told his disciples. You know, being a Christian isn't always easy. Celebrating Christmas, we're fortunate. We live in a, in a culture that, that historically, for the last couple hundred years, has embraced Christ and Christmas. But there's brothers and sisters all over the world. They're, they're celebrating. I just actually had a post from a friend. They have this, this little tree in the corner of their house, and they're celebrating Christmas. But in the culture that they're in, nobody's celebrating Christmas because that's not the God that they worship. So they do it in their house, and they do it in private. Fortunately, they can do it in their house in private without being persecuted in that particular place. But you know what? Sometimes worshiping Jesus isn't easy. Bringing Jesus into this world isn't easy. Sometimes witnessing for Jesus isn't easy. But you know, that's one of the things that we get encouragement about. When we, when we look at the story of Christ and how humble he was and how he came to this world, it's amazing. The creator of all had no room in the creation that he created. Later, John would write, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. It was just indicative of the life in which he lived. Perhaps in the hustle and the bustle of Christmas life, in this 21st century version of Christmas that we often get into, we forget and we, we realize that, that, that of all things, the thing that we need to make room for is, is not more gifts, uh, not even more parties, uh, but really more Jesus, right? That's really what we've got to do is, is stop everything and say, wait, and you guys are doing that. That's why we're meeting this morning. The main thing that we need at Christmas is Christ. It's so easy to, to, to have no place for Jesus in our heart. We are the temple, right? We are like a, a dwelling place. We're a tabernacle. We're a temple. We're likened to both of those things. We're likened, as a church in Ephesians, we're likened to a house. Right? God wants to be in our midst. Man, I pray that we're not so busy that we've left him out this Christmas. People don't like to, to pay taxes. I don't think. Anybody like to pay taxes? I, mean, I don't think so. But who wants to pay taxes after a long trip that you had to pay for out of your pocket <laughs> to move all the way from, from Nazareth down, or from Galilee all the way down to Nazareth just so you could pay more tax when you got there? You know, Caesar was, was doing two things by making this decree to tax all the world. Number one, he was accounting for the people's riches. Many uh, people, their Bibles only say that it was a census. 
As a matter of fact, I think all other English translations call it a census. But the, the, the King James Bible is very clear. This was, a, was not just a census. This was an issue of taxes. Um, he was, in, he was uh, controlling the population. Of course, he was doing that with economy as well. But it does say all went to be taxed. They went to be taxed because, well, there was no option. If there was an out, they would have taken it, I'm sure, just like you would if you could. So notice the prophetic emphasis on this passage. That's why I bring up this word taxes. Uh, I really hadn't taken any time to look at it until I realized, unless you're reading a King James Bible, you probably won't see the word taxes. I'm like, okay, well, we, need to, we need to look at that for just a moment because there's more to it than, than just the first advent. In those days, the Bible says that the very first verse that we saw as we were reading to the children, it came to pass in those days. And many of you study your Bibles, you've been through D2 or what have you, you know, in those days, talks and it refers to the time yet to come when Jesus returns at the second coming, right? In those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. And, uh, and, that, and that was that the whole world should be taxed. <clears throat> this is important to us because... Because God is, is showing us some things. The word tax is very important. And it's only found four times in the scripture. Three out of the four are found here in Luke chapter 2, verses 1, verses 3, and verse 5. The fourth mention is 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 35. Speaking of Jehoiakim's taxing of people to, to pay off Pharaoh for safety. Right? So he's, he's, he's taxing the people to, to, keep the, uh, to keep the people safe, which of course backfires. And so... Um, so taxes is uh, is the only is the other word the other form not ta- uh, not tax there's also there's tax past tense and then taxes uh, with an es at the end the only it's the only other form found in the English Bible that I could find and that's found in Daniel chapter eleven verse twenty and twenty one well verse twenty specifically in a prophecy written to Daniel and it says here and it should be on the screen then shall all uh, then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of his kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed neither in anger nor in battle. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall uh, not give the honor of the kingdom. But he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So this prophecy was given to Daniel long before the birth of Christ, of course. Uh, and, and really, what's it, what's it referring to? Well, historically, it did occur under a gentleman named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the father of, of uh, or not Antiochus Epiphanes IV, Antiochus the Great, who was the father of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. So that, that tandem uh, set of rulers uh, basically took over Israel. They did uh, raise taxes, and then, of course, Antiochus, uh, eliminated, tried to eliminate worship, and that caused a lot of problems in Israel. And he was a very much a type of the Antichrist. But just so we don't miss it, the Holy Ghost goes on. It says, hey, this prophecy is not done yet. Right? And he, he mentions this in, in Luke chapter 2, that there was a tax, a taxer, right? There was an emperor who put taxes on all the people in those days. And of course, that foreshadows for us what's yet to come, even in this world. In Revelation chapter Three, the Bible talks about, uh, um, or Revelation chapter 13, a time where the Antichrist will come and there will be a mark and all the world will be under that dominion, right? But how does the Antichrist enter? Well, if you look in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, he comes in on a white horse. He comes in peaceably. But then in Revelation 13 and verse 16, it says, And he causeth all, both small and great, and rich and poor and free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads, 
that no man might buy or sell, save that he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is the wisdom. Let him that understandeth count the number of the beast, for it is six. The number uh, it is the number of a man, and the number is six hundred three score and six. Now I'm not going to get off in a revelation study this morning. We'll be here for all day, but I just want you to see that in the text because because just as at the first coming of Christ there was an emphasis on 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 all the world being taxed. Beloved, as we enter this season of life is is a global government. For the first time when I was born there was not a global government. Today there is an emphasis on a global government. That is no there's no doubt about it. Why? Because ultimately there is a world tax coming. And ultimately, beloved, we look forward to the coming of Christ at His second advent. Praise God for that. That's all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to mess up Christmas, but you can chew on that with your candy cane. Okay, so point B. <clears throat> so where there, there was an emotional tax. This is a little bit more down in, in where the rubber meets the road. There was an emotional tax upon Mary and Joseph during the first Christmas. I mean, emotionally, it was taxing. Mary and Joseph had, had to bear the reproach of having this child out of wedlock. Even though Mary uh, and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zacharias understood the child in her womb was of the Holy Ghost, no one else did. Man, can you imagine? They've got to bear the weight. they just got to bite their tongue and just, nobody's going to believe this. I mean, even Joseph didn't believe this, right? I mean, at first, he was like willing to put her away privily. He's like, well, she's obviously fornicated uh, or committed adultery. If, since she was a spouse, he could have probably had her executed according to the law of Moses. But he was going to be kind and have her put away privily, privately. And then, of course, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Hey, Joseph, uh, reconsider this uh, because this child is, is of, of me. In, in Matthew 1.19, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But, when, or, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary for the, uh, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He's like, oh, thanks for the memo. So he's not, you go tell your, oh, okay, it's okay, guys. That's, that's of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, right, Joseph, whatever. Sure, buddy. Nobody believed that, except, except for a handful of folks like uh, John the Baptist's parents. It was presumed through the duration. You say, well, how do you know that? You weren't there. Well, I, I know what the Bible says. It was presu- presumed through the duration of Jesus' earthly life that he was conceived in fornication between Joseph and Mary. He said, well, Brian, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. In John chapter 8, in verse 40, Jesus is an adult male. You know, he's 30 plus years old, almost 33 years old, and he's, he's engaging with the Pharisees. And he's, and he's actually, he's about to flip their lid when he, he basically says, uh, I and the Father are one, right? He just lets them know that he's God in the flesh. They can't take that. And they're dealing with fatherhood. And in the midst of this conversation, without getting into the whole context of the chapter, uh, in, in John chapter 8 and verse 40, the Bible says, But now you seek to kill me, because he knew their heart, a man that hath told you the truth, which I heard of God, this did not Abraham. And he's insinuating that back when I was talking with Abraham, <laughs> right? when I was dealing with Abraham, he was a lot easier to deal with than y'all. But this is their retort. When they come back, 
This is what they say to him. Now, he's an adult. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. That was a backhanded slap at Jesus. They're like, we know who your daddy is. Your daddy is Joseph, and you were born in fornication. You're not worthy to even talk to us. And of course, little did they know, he was born of the Holy Ghost. And even when they knew it, they didn't believe it. You know, there's a lot of people today that know about the story of Jesus. I used to be one of those people. I believed there was a Jesus. I just didn't really believe that he was God manifest in the flesh. Once God set that in on me, I finally got saved. Because if Jesus is God in the flesh, then you've got to deal with Jesus to be saved. He's not just any old man. He's not some guy born out of fornication. He is God with skin on. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He is, he is God in the flesh. He was not born of fornication. They presumption, they, the, this presumption by everyone was that Jesus was conceived through an illicit relationship, and that was absolutely not the case. Point C, the travel for Christmas was also physically taxing. It's super physical. The distance would, was difficult. To be nine months pregnant, you know, almost 40 weeks. I'm not sure how long the actual, how long many weeks it took him. It is a long way. It's, it's like 80, uh, 80 miles, 75 to 80 miles, depending on how you track it. You can look it up on Google and walk it yourself and look at it. And I mean, who wants to, who wants, how many nine month pregnant women want to walk anywhere or ride anywhere on a donkey for 75 miles? I mean, that's just nonsense. Who wants to do that? But Mary and Joseph had to do that because of the pressure to get down to uh, Bethlehem, where they were from, to be taxed. And, I, and but by the way, I think both of them were from Bethlehem because it's mentioned that both of them uh, had their lineage there because they were both of the tribe of Judah and they were both of the seed of David. So they were distant cousins in essence, very distant, but they were. So I don't think any mother would want to be great with child and be excited about taking, you know, uh, a seven-mile donkey ride, let alone a 75-mile donkey ride. That, that is a long way to go. That is taxing physically. And you, can you imagine how Joseph and Mary felt about going to Bethlehem in that condition on a command, not a suggestion? Which, by the way, gives you kind of an idea of the mindset of the Romans toward these poor Jews. If you would have, I bet, I imagine, if, I would have, if, if, if Joseph would have appealed to a magistrate of some sort said, wait a minute, uh, can I go and leave her here? Can I represent her? Can, can... They didn't care. They both had to appear. They really didn't care about the life of, a, of a, a baby in the womb. It's kind of like the environment we're in today, isn't it? There's people, they'll throw down, not over the right to save a child, they'll throw down over the right to kill one. It's a wicked world we're living in. It was a wicked world they were living in. It was a wicked world that Jesus was born into. It was a world that Jesus was born into so that he could save it. So peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Anyone feel taxed this morning? You're like, yeah, brother, you just brought it on. I was excited. I saw the kids. They were singing. Now it's like, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, let's, let's change the tone. Let's change the tone, okay? Point two. Because this message isn't, isn't about taxation although it's part of it. It can be taxing, but it's also about inclusion. Christmas is meant to impact everyone everywhere. 
It's meant to impact everyone everywhere. In verse 8 it says, And, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? All. Woo! That word all is wonderful. Like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Why? Because he wants the whole world to be saved. Right? He wants the whole world to be saved. He doesn't want any to perish. So the, the most important announcement in history was given to the lowliest of people. The most important announcement was, was given to the lowliest of people. These shepherds were living in the field with their sheep. There wasn't really anything more important. We read about a decree by a world leader. Well, that's pretty important to everybody because everybody it impacted everybody. But, but among all the things that were announced, the thing that was most important was what came to these shepherds, which were out of the way. Nobody even knew about them. The most important announcement was not Caesar's. It was the angels. It was, it was what these shepherds were hearing. These shepherds that dwelled in Bethlehem. And, and this is the, the type... Uh, these shepherds were living in a field with their sheep, working uh, the, the night shift, right? And, and they're, they're kind of a type of, of what we are, as we are Christians. And, of course, we're not children of the night. We're children of the day, but we're kind of working a night shift, and especially if you're a pastor or you're in ministry or you're a father or a mother, right? You, you have a flock that you're tending to. You just saw those children up here, those little lambs that are beautiful. You know, every local church and every pastor since the ascension of Christ is sort of like a type of these shepherds working their field by night. And we look forward to the day the Son of God rises. The Son of Righteousness rises with healing in His wings. But until then... We're led by the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of His Son. And, and we understand not only that He has come, but He will come. They may have been in the same hills that young David had once traversed, tending to his sheep. These lowly shepherds are exactly the type of people God wants to share the good news with. They were outcasts of society. They were not the, they were not the Pharisees. He, he didn't show up in Jerusalem. He didn't land on the Temple Mount and say, Hey, guys, here I am. He goes to this, he goes, I hear an echo. No, I'm just. <laughs> and so I, so they go to the, they, I, that kind of did throw me off. All right, so he goes out into the, uh, I did, I've lost my thought. All right, moving on. So these shepherds, right, the, they're, they're, they're on the margins of society. There it is. And they're not the, they're not the type of people that, that, that religious people perhaps might think that God would interact with, but they're exactly the people God wants to interact with. I mean, you may have rolled up in here this morning and you're like, man, this whole church thing's not for me. I, mean, I don't even own a red sweater. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I guess what? God, God has a message for you. Jesus isn't just for the guys up in Jerusalem, right? Although he was, right? He, he was actually for those guys. Caesar needed to know about him. Everybody in the world needed to know about Jesus, but he came to the shepherds. The lowly shepherds. He identified with them. Of course, because he is the great shepherd, as we would learn in John chapter 10. He's the good shepherd. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul was writing to these Corinthians. They were kind of gnarly people. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Why? Good question. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You often hear me say, you know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't really need us. But he does want us. And he doesn't just want the, the folks that are at the Temple Mount. He wants the folks that are on the, the Shepherd's Mount, right? He, he wants all men everywhere. And he'll use anyone that will humble themselves. Why? Because, well, no flesh will glory in his sight. God can do a work in anyone's life who's willing to let them. God didn't appear to the Pharisees. He, he didn't show up to inform the Sanhedrin. He didn't even go to Galilee to to appear to fishermen or tax collectors at that time. Instead, he appeared to these lowly shepherds in Bethlehem, in the house of bread, the house of David. People that would understand that this baby, these, these people raise sheep for a living. And they're looking at the Lamb of God. It wouldn't be long, you know, 30 years later. John the Baptist is going to bust on the scene and say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You've got to believe, these, these shepherds who probably were providing sheep, for the temp, they're only five miles from Jerusalem. They're probably providing the best choice sheep you could find. Like some of the beef you all grow around here, believe it. I'm telling you, there's some good beef in this area. Right, the best sheep you could find, unspotted wise. So they could sacrifice them up at the temple. They probably had a working relationship going with the, with the folks at the temple, right? And someday this guy busts on the scene, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Well, who's going to get, get that message more than anybody? The, sh- the sheep herders. They know what a lamb is. As a matter of fact, they'll remember. Remember when we went down to see Jesus, the Messiah? He's, he's now the Lamb of God, John says, that takes away the sin of the world. He's whiter than the, the fleece of our sheep. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like you're living a life of obscurity. God knows where you are. He's interested in you receiving the good news of Jesus' coming, His first coming. God often comes to those who abide in darkness of night. And you know what? The world is likened to a field. And He needs... To, to get the message across. I hope I'm doing an adequate job. I just need you to know that if you don't realize that Christmas is about every one of us individually meeting Jesus in our darkest moment. And God bringing the light of the world to our heart. And that is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that Jesus didn't just come to this earth. It's not just sanitized. It's not just about family. It's about us being sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who did the finished work on the cross, which is ugly. From the beginning to the end of his life, it wasn't that pretty. But he did that so that we could be saved. What a great gift that you could receive even this morning if you've opened it up. But you know what? You might be frightened. Point B, when the light of eternity invades the dark night of obscurity, it can be frightening. When the gospel really starts resonating, it's like vibrating and it starts to move your heart and you start to realize, man, this guy's not just talking about stories. He's talking about the God of the universe has come into my world and he is proclaiming to me that he is good and he wants to change my heart from the inside out. Yes, that's God talking. 
It's his word speaking. And when that happens, you need to respond, but it's fearful. And the angel said, wait a minute. That's okay. Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and, and they were sore afraid. But notice what he said in verse 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I'm not here to bring you a negative message. I'm here to bring you a great message, a joyful message, which shall be to all people. The gift of Christmas is to be shared with all people. It's a good message. It's a joyous message. And this message was brought to them that they hear it and receive it. The good news is that Jesus' birth must be received attentively. He says, Behold, pay attention. Listen up, shepherds. Listen to what I'm saying. The good news of Jesus' birth must be received personally. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The message isn't just for the ether. It wasn't just for the church body. It is for every individual. Listen up and understand this is a personal message that everyone must apply. It is for you. And this is to be a sign unto you, he says. For ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The shepherds didn't tarry. They left their flocks and they, I don't know who they left them with, but somebody, and they made haste to Bethlehem where they, were, where they found the babe, Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And it says in Luke 2.16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You know, we have this wooden manger, everybody, I even got it on our, my slides, but you know, actually, a manger was made out of stone. It's kind of, it's a feeding trough. We make a lot of ours out of metal. So they, they had theirs often carved out of stone. And it's not a place where any of us would put a baby. I know a lot of people around here uh, used to use drawers. I don't know, i got family members, right? They used to pull out the drawer and stuff it with stuff. and put. The, that's, that's a lot better than, I don't know anybody that said, hey, let's go on out to the barn. My grandpa used to raise hogs. Let's go on out to the barn and grab one of these feeding troughs. Nobody does that. It was desperate. But man, it wasn't about what he was in, it was what was in it, right? The most valuable thing on the planet, the most valuable thing in the universe, Jesus Christ is, is sitting there in a manger. And they see it and they behold it and it, it's an incredible thing. It fires them up. One of the things I like about this account as well is they don't question whether he is there. They move presuming he is there. That's called faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When they heard the message, they moved on it. They weren't sitting around, well, you think there's a baby in a manger? They, weren't, they were completely convinced. Beloved, the word of God will completely convince you of who Jesus is because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Today, it is very possible to hear a message from God's word that will move you in faith to receive the reality that Jesus Christ has come to this earth and it will change your life. It will change your life so much that the good news of Jesus' birth will have to be shared publicly. Right? Initially, you just got to pay attention, but then you got to take it personally. And then the next thing you got to do is investigate it. And the next thing you know, you're proclaiming it. Because it's something you got to share with everybody, just like those disciples. Or, I mean, those disciples, I'm sorry, those shepherds, which shall be to all people, right? They, they got the message and they, they went around telling everybody they knew. It says in verse 17 through 19, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. These shepherds were transformed to preachers and shared the good news everywhere they could. 
You know, I think about that and their proximity to Jerusalem, as I mentioned earlier, and their vocation dealing with raising lambs and likely even having, you know, bringing harvest of lambs because those sacrifices had to go day in and day out up in Jerusalem. And you had to have the best. You didn't want to bring a, a faulty lamb. So not every lamb was going to make the cut. So they, had to, they were accustomed to taking the best, right, and, and the best of their herds, and, then, and people were taking those to Jerusalem, I'm sure. And so in this, in this process of, of harvesting lambs and, and being around uh, not just five miles outside of Jerusalem, I just can't help but think that the word didn't trickle back up to Jerusalem. Hey, there's these shepherds down here in Bethlehem saying that Messiah is born. Now, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. God hasn't given us the details, so you're just left to wonder. But I'm like, did anybody like think to get in the car? No, they didn't have cars. The chariot could have done that. Walk five miles and say, hey, what's up with this story that Messiah's come. But to my knowledge, nobody did that. And if they did, they didn't make a deal about it. Because later we know the account in Matthew, right? Matthew talks about a couple years later, the wise men show up and Herod's oblivious. Nobody, like, what, where, when, where'd this happen? Now, one of the other things you could consider, even if they did wonder if Jesus was Messiah, you don't really want to tell a Roman emperor that. <laughs> right? Because that's a challenge, because he's supposed to be God. So, either way, it was tense. It's, a t- it's an interesting situation historically to consider. But you know, sometimes we got to just understand we got to go for broke and just preach the gospel. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how people receive it, it matters that it gets proclaimed because he's worthy. We just got to tell the gospel. That's all our job is to do, just like these shepherds. Our, own, our whole job is not to worry about how it gets received. Our job is proclaim publicly the good news that Jesus is born. And I've got news for you, beloved. If we're not excited about it, nobody else will be. And this is an exciting time, and I know you guys are excited about the gospel. I know you're excited about Jesus. Many wonder, but Mary, man, you know what she did? Some people were like, wow, what's going on? But Mary took all those things and pondered them in her heart. I wonder if Luke had a first-hand interview with Mary, because there's a lot of details in here. He getting down to the details of how she received all of this information. And she just took it and tucked it away in her heart. Ultimately, hearing the news of Christ's birth isn't enough. We got to keep it in our heart. Caesar made a decree that the entire world should be taxed. The angel just made a decree that the entire world should receive Jesus Christ as the gift. God takes those who live in obscurity and turns them into messengers that impact eternity. So you may come in here heavy, you may come in here weighed down, but I tell you what, God has brought you here to give you a message of joy, even if you feel like you are the most obscure person here and turn you into a messenger that can impact eternity through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it, it, it's not us, it is that good of a message. It actually changes lives. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Man, there's that burden, there's that taxation, but then there's that inclusion God brings us in. And lastly, man, what does that cause? It causes a celebration, a celebration. Christmas is worthy of supernatural celebration both in heaven and on earth. And that's what we see. The birth of Christ caused praise in heaven. 
In Luke 2.13, it says, And suddenly there was, a, there was an angel, uh, with the angel, I'm sorry, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Our theme for 2022 has been perfect peace. And the only way to have perfect peace in a world that's dark and discouraging is to set our affections on things above. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. You know, we celebrate the birth of Christ because God sent Jesus to save the world, not to destroy it. In verse 11, we see that Jesus is Savior. Later, Jesus would say to Nicodemus in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You ever wonder why we choose darkness over light? Well, that's why. We love it. And Jesus came to change it. The essence of Christmas is about celebrating the light of the world that has appeared in the darkness to destroy sin and death through the gift of God's own Son in the flesh. And that's why we should praise God on earth. It's not just a celebration in heaven. It's not just a proclamation in heaven. It's a proclamation on earth. And the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You see, the shepherds eventually went back to their vocation, but not without jubilation in all the things that God had shown them. You know what? The, the season comes and it goes, doesn't it? There's the post-Christmas. Ooh, Amy and I were just talking about that. How long before we're ready to put up the tree? Right? It just becomes another cycle, you know? Wah, wah, wah. It's like when the Chiefs lose, right? You know, oh. But you know what? That's not what happened here. Man, they came and they saw that gift of eternal life laying in that manger and they went out and they proclaimed it and they went back to work and they were, they were in jubilation, man. They were, it, was, it caught, man. It was not just something they thought. It caught down here in the heart and they were fired up about that thing even when they went back to work. And beloved, if we do Christmas right, as individuals, we, 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 sit, we get, take some time apart from all the hustle and bustle and we sit down and we think about, wow, God is so humble. He came to this earth and he cares about me. I'm over here in obscurity. With all the pressures of life, he cares about me. And he has given me a message to share with the world. You can't, you shouldn't, man, I tell you, you can't wait to get back to work after Christmas. Why? Because that's where all the work gets done. When you go out and proclaim Christmas, not just on Christmas morning, but every day of the year. What makes you different? Oh, I know what makes you different. You got perfect peace. Your mind has stayed on him, and it doesn't matter what Caesar says. It doesn't matter what the Sanhedrin says. It doesn't matter what anyone says. What matters is that God has came to you personally, and he has given you a message, and it is not just yours to hear. It is yours to share 
with the world. Beloved, Christmas is about giving. And I pray that this Christmas we get this message down, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, he died on the cross. It was for the world, but it was for me. It was for you. And we get on out of here and we share that joy. We celebrate that by sharing it with everybody we know, everybody, everybody we can. Because it's an exciting message. It's a great message. It's a joyful message. The true meaning of Christmas must not just, isn't just about praising God in heaven. It's not just about praising God on earth. Ultimately, it's about praising, bringing praise and peace of God to our hearts. And so in conclusion this morning, Christmas season can be taxing. But the promise of peace that comes from the birth of Jesus to all people should be encouraging and it should be celebrated. So today, if you've not opened the gift of eternal life and received Jesus Christ today as, for salvation, today is a great day to do that. The Bible says in Luke 2, 14, Glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill on earth. The scripture says that the heavenly hosts rejoice when sinners repent. How about that? We just talked about celebrating in heaven, celebrating on earth, celebrating in our heart. Wouldn't it be something today if somebody received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and heaven erupted with joy? That would be awesome. Not only do the things that happen in heaven coming to earth get us excited, but the things that happen on earth that impact heaven should get us excited. Amen? Let's stand up as we conclude this morning. Heavenly Father, as we pray together, we consider what Luke 15.10 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Perhaps today, Lord, you have provided someone that is ready to receive the gift of eternal life contained in this book, wrapped up in paper, a message to them, a message to those that are, they're, they're, that are taxed, those that may feel like they're in seclusion. But God wants to include them, and he wants to bring a message of hope to their heart. Lord, I pray this morning they'd receive it with, with, heads, with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. As we prepare to conclude, is there anybody this morning that would say, hey, you know what, Brian, I have never considered the reality of Jesus' birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and how that personally impacts me. And for the first time, maybe you see that, and you're ready to, to simply receive the gift of eternal life. It's not, it's, not, it's not hard. You simply have to believe it, like those shepherds. And you have to be willing to look upon the, the, what the Bible says and receive the gospel. It's called the good news, that Jesus Christ died on, this, on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he's alive right now. So all you must do is call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. When you do that, he literally secures your soul. He, he will literally come into you and save you immediately upon receiving him by faith. Is there anybody that is here this morning that says, Brian, I, I, that's me. I need to be saved this morning. I need to receive the gift of eternal life. You have been ringing my bell. You've been talking to me. It isn't me. That's God. Is there anybody? Say, Brian, you, that's me. I need to be saved. Nobody's looking around this morning. That would be the best Christmas gift this world would ever see this morning is someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope everyone's saved. I know we got a lot of family parties to go through. I got some, you got some. We got things to do this week and today. Praise God for that. Hey, if you're saved this morning, let's like that candy cane we gave away earlier, let's take the message out and share it with everyone we know because it's sweet to eat once we receive those words. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your saints this morning. Lord, I'm sure I'm preaching to many of the choir today, and, and Lord, we're excited about what you've done at your first advent. 
We look forward to your second advent, and we know, Lord, that, that uh, Lord, nothing formed against you pro- will, will prosper. And, Lord, we have this great message to send today. I pray, God, as we spend time with our family and our friends, as we embrace one another, as we enjoy this season together, Lord, we're just thankful for Christ coming to this earth. Lord, it doesn't matter that he wasn't born on December 25th. Lord, that's irrelevant. He was born in the flesh, Lord, and he lived a sinless life, and he he died on the cross for our sins, and he's alive right now, and we are so thankful, those of us that have received that gift of eternal life, Lord, that it is a time of celebration. It's a time of jubilation. And Lord, I pray, God, as we go out of here, that it wouldn't just excite us today, Lord, but it would excite us every day until we see you come. Lord, help us be like... like uh, those Zacharias and Simeon and Anna, these that were that were impacted by the message of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, help us to go proclaim the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray, God, that you would use us, that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.